You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at harvestniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Have you ever heard that quote? It's uh, from a book that was written back in the 90s called First Things First, and it was written all about how to organize your life so that you actually prioritize the things that are important to you. You know, so it's, it, the author wrote it really to help people overcome that common frustration of living under the tyranny of the urgent. Right, that regrettable uh, pattern of doing what's most pressing at the expense of what's best. Right, so you get to a day goes by, a week goes by, a month goes by, and you stop and you're like, what have I, what have I been doing? And you run down and worn out, but you never got around to doing the thing that you know is most important. Well, he wrote that book to sort of to help us to get first things first, and it's in that context that the author gave us gives this principle that I, that I really like. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Now, this is not only a problem that we have in our personal lives. I mean, we think about our personal lives, the busyness, the constant demands, the running here, the running there, and we lose track of what's most important. It's a problem in our personal life, but it's also an issue we encounter in church life. We easily get taken up with the busyness of ministry, of sorting through problems, of, of wrestling with conflict, of, of, of trying to uh, manage different tensions and differing views. And before we know it, we've sometimes so easily lost sight of why it is we exist in the first place. Like, why is it that we are here? What is it that we're planted to do? It's, it's funny, isn't it, that sometimes even in church life, we can sort of realize a day, a week, a month, a year has gone by, and we're wondering, what, what, is it, what is it that we're all about anyway? Why is it that we exist? What's the main thing? Well, that's really the million-dollar question. I mean, we can have this cute little principle about keeping the main thing the main thing, but the question, of course, is... Well, what's, what's the main thing? I mean, when it comes to life in the local church, what is the main thing? If we're going to invest our time and our energy when it comes to laboring and strategizing and planning and giving, what is it we're to be actually doing? What, are, what is it that all those things are to be toward? What is our primary purpose? Well, the wonderful thing about Scripture is we don't have to sort of guess at it. In fact, Jesus himself addresses it very clearly, very pointedly, and very clearly with all authority. And he tells us plainly in a text that for many of you is very familiar. But if it's familiar or new, it doesn't matter. I want you to turn there with me, please, to Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20. Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. The title of my sermon this morning is Keeping the Main Thing. The main thing, all right? So uh, the the text is going to tell us today, Jesus is going to tell us what is it that's the main thing with clarity, with authority. It's not my words, it's Jesus' words that we're going to look at. So um, by the way, my name is Ross, and I'm the senior pastor at Harvest Niagara. (laughs) That's very nice of you. 
And so I was thinking about my first sermon. I've had some time to think about that, what to preach. And as we prayed about it and thought about it, reflected on it, it seemed to me like a great place to start just for one Sunday is, well, what's the main thing? What is it that you and I are called to do? Why are we even doing church here? Why, why, are we, why do we even exist here in Niagara region? Why am I here? Why are you here? This text, I think, draws our attention to our purpose. It reminds us what our mission is. It gives us our mandate where Jesus tells us, listen, look, there's lots of things we could do, but here's what you should do. It's what he wants us to do. Now, when you come to Matthew 28, it's, the, the context is pretty breathtaking. When you come to Matthew 28, we have come through a book in the Bible, this gospel, in which Matthew has presented to us the person of Jesus Christ, especially, not only, but especially as Jesus as king. He's king. And at the end of this book, we have come through his teachings, we've looked at his life, and when you come to the end of Matthew 28, we've, got, we've just read about the, the detailed sufferings of Jesus, the, the passion of Christ. He's crucified, dead, buried, just as he predicted. And then he was raised from the dead. So you've got Jesus arisen from the dead and in a few moments is going to ascend into heaven. So think about that context. He's conquered death and the grave. He's about to ascend into heaven. And he gives them these last words. Now, how significant do you think whatever he's going to say here in this moment is going to be significant? Here's what he said. Matthew 28, verse 18. Jesus came and said to them, speaking to his disciples, he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. How much authority? All authority. And what, what is these, what's his jurisdiction of his authority? It's heaven and earth. It's everywhere, right? I mean, is there, is there anywhere that this doesn't apply? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, this is my favorite part, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And all God's people said, that is good news. All right. So here he is, risen from the dead, about to ascend to heaven. And he tells us these last words. And what are these last words? These words are, this is our mission. This is our mandate. If we're going to keep the main thing the main thing, we've got to know what the main thing is. And what is the main thing? Well, here it is. The main thing is this, is our mission is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. That's why this church exists, right? That's why this church, I'm taking the Harvest Essentials class right now. It's for all the new people. If you're a new person, you, got, you take this class. And I'm taking it. You're laughing, but like, no, I need to take that. And Pastor Brett is patiently taking me through this class. I say patiently because I have probably way too many questions. I got all kinds of questions. 
And I'm going through it, and I discovered that, you know, the first page of the little booklet I got in my notes as I'm filling in blanks, there's a mission statement there. You know what the mission statement says? You all know what the mission statement says? If you remember, you, you have it memorized, right? I don't have it memorized because I'm new, right? But it says, it's the, to the glory of God. The mission is to the glory of God uh, to, sorry, to fulfill, sorry, see, I don't even have it written down. I do have it written down, but you ever write yourself a note and you go to read, and you're like, what does that even say? Well, you tell me, what's the mission? To glorify God through, through the fulfillment of the Great Commission, right? Is that right? Or is this some other church? Oh, okay. So to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. So you do know it. You're good. You're just seeing, okay, let's see if you really learned, right? <laughs> to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. You, so you, what's the Great Commission? Well, this is it. The great commandment is to love, to love God with everything you've got and to love your neighbor. So, we, so the, the, the heart with which, the attitude with which we do this is in love. But the this that we do is these words here where Jesus says, go therefore, verse 19, and make disciples of all nations. That's our mission. Our, our mission is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. That's our, that's our mandate. That's our, our purpose. That's our, our goal. That's our priority. I mean, there's lots of things that we will do that we'll have to do, but the main thing is that we're to make disciples. A disciple, the word disciple is interesting. Christians, before we were ever called Christians, were called disciples. In fact, in many ways, it's probably clearer to say that you're a, a disciple of Jesus Christ. I got a friend of mine, I love how he says it. He says, I'm a person who loves and follows Jesus Christ. That's, to me, that captures it. I love and follow Jesus Christ. A disciple is someone who is a, is a follower. Not follower like you follow someone on Twitter, right? When you follow someone on Twitter, you just read stuff they say, and maybe you respond to it, maybe you like it, maybe you roll your eyes and say, look what they just posted, or what they just said. But if you follow someone on Twitter, you're in the audience. You're the consumer, right? But when you're a follower in terms of a disciple, it, it's an engagement of your life. You're not just watching and not just listening, but you're responding, in obedience, because you're following someone, and that someone is Jesus. Uh, uh, in the ancient context, a disciple was a, a pupil, a learner, someone who would come under a rabbi, and, and really that, that rabbi's word would be truth to them, and, and they would not only follow their teachings and internalize uh, their, their values and their principles, but they would also uh, see to it that their lives emulated the person that they follow. And so it's, it's more like follow the leader. Right? When you follow the leader, you're, you're doing what the person does in front of you. You're, you're acting like, you're sounding like the person in front of you. If you've played follow the leader, maybe you don't even know what that is. I'm not sure. Well, kids, you know what follow the leader is. That's sort of what it's like to follow Jesus. We're going to follow him so that when I'm a disciple, it goes like this. It's like, okay, I mean, how, how should I handle my money? Well, Jesus, how would you handle your money? Oh, oh that's how I'll handle my money. Or how do, I, how do I deal with, how should I respond to a difficult neighbor? I don't, none of you have difficult neighbors, but it happens sometimes. How do I handle a difficult neighbor? Well, Jesus, how, should, how do you say I should treat my neighbor? Okay, that's what I'm going to do. Or, or how should I, uh, what, what, should my, what should I do when people are unkind to me? What do you say? How do, how do you do? Then that's what I will do, you see? 
It's I take his instruction to every part of my life, my family, my outlook, my sexuality, my marriage, my attitude, my affections, my spiritual life, everything comes under the lordship of Jesus. This is what it is to be a disciple, a follower. When we're a disciple of Jesus, we say, Jesus, I'm living for you. I'm living for you, and I'll do, what you, I'll do whatever you say, and I'll do it your way. And before I even know, here's a disciple, before I even know what it is you want me to do, the answer is already yes. That's the disciple. We are ourselves as Christians disciples of Jesus, aren't we? Our mission is to lead others to be disciples also. That's, that's our mission here, right? You see that in the text, verse 19, Jesus says, verse 18, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So that's a lot of authority. Go, therefore, and make disciples. It does say that in your Bible, right? You got your Bible with you? Okay, just make a note of that. Make disciples. That's the imperative. I want to make four observations about this command for you. None of these are profound, they're just observations. First of all, the call, the, the mandate, the mission of making disciples is really clear. Like, it's just, it's just really clear. You, you don't really need a diagram for this verse, do you? It's like, go and make disciples. Okay, like, you don't need a PhD in missiology to understand what he's saying here. Just as you follow me, you're going to lead others to follow me, too. Loved ones, our purpose is to go to a lost world and lead them to Jesus, where they will be found. Our mandate is to go to a dying world with a message that, by the power of the Holy Spirit, can bring the dead to life. Our mission is to go into a broken and despairing world and lead them to the place of everlasting hope and true healing. It's clear. Second thing. I notice about this is it concerns all people. Notice in the text it says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. All nations. That's all people, all people groups. Not just countries, but all peoples, people groups. It concerns all peoples. Our mission of making disciples is something we had better be on locally, but also globally. God's got a global plan. You know that, right? He's got a global plan for the nations, for the peoples. We see it beautifully portrayed in Revelation 5, 9, looking toward the end where it tells us that there will be worshipers in heaven from every people group. It says every tribe and language and people and nation. It concerns all people. So it's clear it concerns all people. So it's, it's, it's all people groups. It's local, it's global. Third, I just noticed this. It's a, it's a command. It's commanded. Right? You, you can see, you, can see the, the, you get the sense of the text, right? Like Jesus isn't sort of suggesting this, is he? Right? He's not just like, you know what I think you guys should think about doing? I think you should consider making disciples. Right? He doesn't say that. No, he's, it's authoritative, right? It's not just an idea. It's, it's a, an authoritative command. He says, therefore, so he says all authority, verse 18, all authority is given to him. Go therefore. What's the therefore? Therefore. It's to, to link the command with the authority. So, so here's the thing. It's not optional. 
This isn't something we can just sort of get around to eventually. Like we'll put it on the agenda for next year once we get COVID sorted out. It's, it's commanded. It's, it's on now. It's also central. It's central. Remember, Jesus has died for sin, arose from the dead. He's about to ascend into heaven. And before he ascends into heaven, he says these words. Make disciples of all nations. That strikes me as central. It's, in other words, it's not something that's sort of a part of my life. It's not something that's sort of among the things that we do as a church. It is what we do. It is what I'm about. It is my aim. It is my passion. It is my objective to make disciples of Jesus. Now, despite the fact that it's central, I think we have to acknowledge that oftentimes it isn't central. I wonder sometimes, why is that? Why does that happen in our own lives personally, in our lives corporately, in churches, that we, we don't make disciples? I, so I put down four things, four barriers to obedience. Okay, four things. If you like making lists, here's a list. Put it on the back of your grocery list. Four barriers to obedience. Why is it that this often isn't central? Well, first of all, we fail to teach it. So that, this finger, if you're feeling like there's finger pointing going on, just point that right at me. Here, right there, right? All right, preacher. Well, what happens is the pastors like me forget to remind our people about the main thing. See, what happens is we don't mean to generally. It's just we get distracted by a thousand little things that, that in the moment don't seem like little things. They seem like really big things. It's like there's raging fires here and there. We see we're running around and, and stomping them out. And we get distracted and we get sort of off center. And before we know it, the problems and controversies of our time consume us. And you don't hear it from the pastor because he's dealing with other things. I don't mean that every single sermon is on the same text, right? <clears throat> but we do need to teach it. We got to preach sermons like this one. How many churches, think about it, I mean, how many churches and Christians in those churches have become lifeless, have become ineffective, unfruitful in their existence because they've gotten away from that which is central? Well, I think a great antidote to that, or a great um, solution to that is to teach it. So one reason we don't, we don't make the essential is we fail to teach it. Another reason that we don't make the essential is we, we fail to internalize it. We fail to internalize it. So here's what happens. You hear a sermon this morning, hey, we got a new pastor, yeah, it was okay, but, but yeah, well, what are you preaching? Oh, he preached on the Great Commission. Oh, well, that, that makes pretty good sense, his first sermon, yeah. What's for lunch? Hey, when, when's the game start? Now, I'm not against lunch and game starting, okay? People who know me well know, yeah, he's not against lunch, and he's not against games. But what happens is, is we hear messages, we hear teaching on the Great Commission, on the main thing. And it's like we hear that, we're like, hmm, that's a good word. And then we change the channel. And we don't, we don't, we don't ask ourselves, well, how then shall I respond to this? I mean, what, what am I going to do in light of what I've just heard? We don't internalize it. And then third, we fail to act on it or we procrastinate. We hear this and we think, you know what, that's something I've got to get to. 
But you know, right now, it's not that we say this out loud, it's what we say to ourselves. It's like, you know, right now, I just like, I have my career, I mean, things are so busy at work, and I'm the new guy, and yeah, I know what it's like. And you know, my family, I got family stuff going on, and, and you know, and, and the other thing too is I'm, I'm not really, I can't really talk as good as other people. I mean, so, I mean one of these, someday, I, I'll, this is going to be central someday. We procrastinate. Fourth reason, fourth barrier to obedience here is that I think that we sometimes just fail to comprehend this. He said, now hang on, preacher, you just said it was clear, and yet we fail to comprehend. You calling us stupid on your first Sunday? No, no, that's not what I'm saying. What I mean when I say we fail to comprehend is sometimes we overlook the fact that making disciples is central to being a disciple. You see? Like intrinsic to our discipleship of Jesus is making disciples. It's part of what we do. If we're not making disciples of Jesus, then we've got an issue, especially corporately as a church. So whatever ministry idea we have, whatever ministry we're engaged in, it's good for us, it's prudent for us to stop and ask ourselves, are we about the main thing here? In what way is this in keeping with the main thing? The main thing being to make disciples of Jesus. Our mission as a church is to make disciples of Jesus. It's clear, it concerns all people. It's a command. But what does it involve? What exactly does this involve? And by the way, I should just, I made a note here to, to say, to uh, a mental note to say this, is that to encourage you, this church has a phenomenal track record in making disciples. Pastor Daryl has done a fabulous job of teaching God's word, of energizing this church to make disciples. And in a short period of time, God has been so gracious to bring many to Christ through, not only through his ministry, but through your ministry as a church. So this church has a phenomenal, phenomenal track record of making disciples. But here's the thing. We got to keep on making the main thing the main thing right? We can't just go roast hot dogs on the 10th anniversary and say, all right, we did it. High five each other. All right. No, it keeps going. So in light of the fact that it keeps going then, what is it that we keep going at? Like, like, so to make disciples, what does that involve? What does that involve to make disciples? Well, Jesus says two things, doesn't he? He says two things. This podium is really short. I don't, I don't want to complain on my first Sunday, but it's Really, I feel like I'm stooped over it, so I just pick up my Bible here. Anyway, I'm sorry. What were we talking about? Jesus, verse 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. What does this involve? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then, verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So it involves two things, right? Baptizing. You see that verse uh, where is it? Verse 19. And then verse 20, teaching, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. So first of all, making disciples involves leading people to know Christ. Leading people to know Christ. It involves evangelism. It involves sharing good news. It's one of the pillars of this church, right? So I'm learning in the class. Pastor Brett's been teaching me. 
right? It's about being unafraid witnesses. Is that a pillar? See, I got it, all right? See, I'm doing pretty good, right? It's an unafraid witness. Why unafraid? Well, because it's a reminder that sometimes witnessing is scary. Because sometimes people don't want to hear what we have to say. It's good news, but it doesn't land on them as good news. And you as the good news messenger, which doesn't land them as good news, sounds them kind of like bad news, like accusatory news. Like, I don't want to hear this kind of news. And they react to you. Not in a positive, lovey, joyful reaction, but sometimes like an allergic reaction. Like I've been stung by a BM anaphylactic reaction. And so sometimes we need to remind her about having courage, imagine, reminding who it is we're following and seeing his sufferings and like... That's how his life went sometimes. That's how my life is going to go too. And so we're unafraid witnesses because, well, it involves leading people to know Christ. And no one's going to know Christ if we don't tell them about Jesus. Right? No one on my street is going to get saved because I wave at them. You should wave at them. If you don't wave and then go tell them about Jesus, it'll be more awkward. But the reality is, is that there's evangelism involved. They say, oh, Pastor, you're talking about evangelism, but my Bible says baptizing. Explain. Well, what's the first step of obedience when a person in the Scriptures, when a person gives their lives to Christ? It's baptism. And baptism, when you, you set up the baptism over here, right? The big, I've, I've watched the baptisms online here. I love it. And so you get that up. Now, when that pool is set up there, it's two things, Okay. It's a grave, and it's a birthing suite. It's a grave, and it's a birthing suite. Why do Christians baptize people when they put their faith in Jesus Christ? Because it's a symbol of their salvation. It's a declaration, not only of our allegiance to Christ, but it's a picture of what God has done in us. What's he done in us? Well, first of all, the old me is dead. The old me that went my own way, doing my own thing, indifferent to God... That person is dead. Thank you, Lord. And so you notice when we baptize people, it's why we go under the water, but not to be controversial. I know there's different modes, but why we do it that way is you go under the water because there's a death that's happened. There's a burial that's happened. Just like Jesus was crucified, dead, and buried, we're buried with him, the scripture says. So you see what I mean? It's, it's a grave. Now, of course, you, you, we don't hold people. I mean, that, that'd be murder, right? If you stay, I kept them there too long. So you go under, it's, it's a grave, but then it's a birthing suite. Because you come up out of there, and it represents the fact that all things have been made new, and I'm new in Jesus. I've got newness of life. That just as Jesus was raised from the dead, so also you and I are raised from spiritual death Amen. to live for him. So you're not dead anymore. You're alive. Amen. And even though we die, Jesus says, yet we shall live. That's what baptism is. When Jesus talks about baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, in some ways I think it's shorthand here for salvation, evangelism, repentance, faith, conversion. The old me is dead, the new me is alive. It involves evangelism. By the way, this news that I'm sharing with you right now is the best news you'll ever hear. Amen. There's no better story. And um, I'm most of you, this morning, I, I don't know most of you, right? I'm new. And so if you're new today, welcome. We're both new. But I want you to hear this good news that there is life, life to be had. 
in Jesus. And if you're here this morning, you're thinking, I want to know more about that. I'd love to share with you more about that. I'd love for you to just come. I'll just be hanging around up here. You come right up afterwards. I'd love to share with you more about that. Even just pray that the Lord would help you to understand the preciousness of Jesus. Making disciples involves leading people to know Christ. This is essential to our mission. If what we as a church are doing with the unsaved does not involve evangelism, then we're not really making disciples. Yes, we feed, we clothe, we educate, because love cannot be indifferent to suffering. But if we're not sharing the saving hope of Jesus that we have, then that in and of itself is incredibly unkind. Making disciples involves leading people to know Christ. Harvest, isn't this why we exist? To lead people to know Jesus. Making disciples involves leading people to know Christ, but it doesn't stop there. Making disciples also involves teaching people to follow Christ. Do you see that in verse 20? Talk about baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit. And then verse 20, teaching them to observe, not, not to watch. Some of your Bibles use the, have the word obey. How many have the word obey in your, your translation? Yeah, that's probably really helpful because that's the idea there. It's, it's, it's not to observe, but like in watching sense, but to obey. Like the kind of observe where you observe a moment of silence. You do it, right? Teaching them to observe or to obey all that I have commanded you. Making disciples involves teaching people to follow Jesus that our lives would come, in, could come into conformity to him. And how does that happen? Well, God uses his word. He uses the truth of his word. That's, that's why we preach the Bible, right? That's why when you get together in small groups, you get your Bibles open. That's why you're in your Bible regularly, right? Because you need the instruction of God's word. You, you're a follower of Jesus, and you need to hear from him. You need to know what it is that God wants you to do. And there's a, an important vital ministry we have in the local church of instructing one another, of, of teaching, and, and that, that involves helping us to understand what it is that the text plainly says here. And it's not like you couldn't understand it on your own, but God's given teachers to help bring further clarity and to help us to apply this to our lives. And that's, that's part of my joy in being a pastor. But it's not just pastors that do it. We do it for one another. In your conversations together, as we're talking about life and challenges in front of us, we got the Bible open and think about what does God have to say about this? So we encourage and teach and exhort each other. You do it, parents, you do it with your children at home, right? You tell them what God's Word says. You're eating dinner around the table. You're talking about life and, and bringing, in, bringing the Scripture to bear on life, right? Like, what, is, what does God have to say about this? And why do we do that? Why do we do that? Because that's why we exist. That's why we're here. That's our task. It's our mission. Making disciples involves teaching people to follow Jesus. How people, become, how people become followers of Jesus is hearing the word of the gospel. How we keep following Jesus is hearing the word and having the word taught, having the scriptures taught to us. Notice the teaching is for a purpose. The teaching is for transformation. It's not just for information. It's for transformation. You see that? Teaching them to observe or obey all that I have commanded. So the purpose of my teaching is not merely to inform you, but by the power of the Holy Spirit to transform you, that your life would be different, that you more and more grow in obedience to Jesus. We teach for transformation. So here's the thing. Mission is more than just evangelism. It can't be less than evangelism. 
but it doesn't stop at evangelism, but it also involves discipleship, making disciples. When someone makes a profession of Christ, then we need to teach a profession of faith in Christ. We need to teach them to follow Christ. We do that locally. We do that globally. It's one of the things I'm excited about in, in coming part of your church family is also being part of the broader family, the Great Commission Collective. Being part of being partnered with other churches, other like-minded churches who have that same vision for planning churches and having healthy churches locally and globally. It's an awesome thing because, well, that's what we're called to do. Making disciples involves leading people to know Christ and teaching them to follow Christ. That's the main thing. Now, when you stand back and think about that, you're like, okay, well, that's a tidy little sermon, sort of. Not bad for a start. Not bad, maybe. I don't know what kind of grade you give it, but here's the thing. When I stand back and think about that, and I look at the world around and see the significant challenges that are in front of us for gospel ministry, locally and globally, it can all kind of become a bit daunting. Like, I mean, you look like spectacular people, but... I mean, I look at me, and maybe you look at me, you look around, and you're like, so it's entrusted to us, is it? <laughs> well, this will be interesting. It can seem kind of daunting and overwhelming. Frankly, in many contexts in the world today, it's dangerous. And many of us feel, don't we feel so inadequate? How am I ever going to make a disciple of Jesus? How are we going to do that? It can seem overwhelming and daunting, and we might wonder, is it even worth bothering when we look at us? Well, if all we do is look at us, then that's probably a fair conclusion. But notice how the text ends. Verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, remember I said this is my favorite part? And behold, what does it say? It says, Jesus says, I, who's, who's I? Jesus. Jesus. I am where? With you. With you. When? Always. always. I am with you always. Jesus, with you. Now, Amen. here, tonight, when you go in for your shift, Tomorrow at school, in your neighborhood, on your sports team, when you got the grandkids over, when you're parenting, Jesus says, I am with you. Jesus is with us. Oh, what, what comfort that is. And those times when we're rejected, Jesus says, I am with you. I know not only the fact of that, I know the feeling of that. I'm with you. What, what comfort, what strength. What strength we can draw from his presence that he is with us. He's with us. The Holy Spirit indwells us. He's, he's not far from us. He's not even just near. He's here. I'm with you. Oh, what power this speaks to. Jesus, the one, remember the context. He's just conquered the grave. And he says, I am with you always. Notice, to the end of the age. I love it. I got with me a necklace here. You may not be able to see it depending on where you're sitting. But it's just, uh, it's just a, a chain necklace. A friend of mine gave to me. 
This friend, the first time I met him, I actually, I met him, I just knocked on his door. I'd never met him before. I knocked on his door and invited him to church. Now, that sounds like, oh, he's a bold evangelist. Yeah, not really. Here's what happened. I was pastoring a church. We were in a rural community, and I'd been there for some time. And one day, I was driving down the road and to go to the office of the church, and it just dawned on me as I went by. There's, there's not, there weren't many houses around the church at the time, but there was just a few. And I was driving past these houses to go to my office, and it just dawned on me. I have been here for a long time, and I have never met any of the people that live in these houses. They see our church every single day. And I don't even know, I don't know who any of them are. I was feeling kind of convicted. Like, what's, what's, the, what's the matter with you? I've been here for years. Well, it was close to Christmas time, and so I got this idea. I put together a little, a little gift package, and I went over and I started knocking on the doors of the, the, the churches, of the house near our church. I thought, I'll just invite them to church. It's easy at Christmas time to invite people to church. So I went and invited them to church. Well, one door I knocked on was a guy who eventually became my friend. His name is Pat. And I knocked on his door, and uh, he just yelled from inside, yeah, come on in. <laughs> okay, I'm thinking he's expecting somebody else, not me. <laughs> so I open the door, I walk in, and he comes out of the washroom of all places and looks at me, he's like, oh, who are you? <laughs> and uh, I just like, I said, I guess you probably weren't expecting me, were you? <laughs> and so here I am, we're off to a great start. I'm like, uh, my name's Ross. I just, I'm the pastor over the church here. I just, I just wanted to invite you to church for, for Christmas. That, that year, Christmas was landing on the Sunday. So I'm like, I just wanted to invite you to church for Christmas Sunday. And he looked at me. He's like, oh. Well, it's funny you come. He says, you know, this is the first, first Christmas I've been alone. So he says, I, I just might do that. So he took the little care package, and I left, and I just prayed, Lord, send him to church, send him to church. Well, Sunday came, I'm driving down that country road, and there he is. I drive past, he's walking to church in the snow. I thank you, Lord. And he came to church that day and uh, sat in the back row of the church and um, smelling like whatever he'd been smoking and looking how he was looking. And we talked that morning about Jesus. And I shared with him some of what I shared with you today, the good news of Jesus, the hope that we have in Jesus, that Jesus died for our sins. And through faith in him, we can have our sins forgiven and have a home in heaven forever and a life lived on purpose for him. Something like that anyway. Now, I didn't find out the rest of this until long after the fact. But he told me quite some time later that he went home that day and sat down on his couch and cried out, God, save me. God, save me. He told me later, and I had no way of knowing this, that things were really at a breaking point for him in his life. After he came to church that Sunday, we, we met for Bible study. And I, we read the, through, the, through the Gospel of Mark together, and I shared with him, I tried to teach him God's Word and at a certain point, I don't remember exactly when, but he made a clear profession of faith in Jesus, and he was baptized that summer. But he told me well after the fact, something I had no way of knowing, that he had made a decision that on Christmas Day, he was going to end his own life. I had no idea. 
No, how would I ever know? He had a plan, and he was determined he was not going to fail. And then I came and knocked on his door. Who are you? I'm Ross. You want to come to church? And he came to church, and he made a drastically different decision Christmas Day. Instead of going into a lost eternity, he cried out to God. And God saved him. God changed him. One day we were visiting together, and we were saying goodbye. And he said, wait a minute, wait a minute. He reached around his neck, and he took off this necklace. He grabbed my arm and pulled it. Hold out your hand. Dropped that, and he said, listen. Always remember that by God's help, you saved a life. You literally saved a life, he said. That's how he talks. Of course, it wasn't me, it was God. But he said, I want you to have this, so every time you look at it, you're having a rough day, things aren't going the way you want it, you're getting down, you just get out that necklace and remember what God did through you. Loved ones, does anything in all the world compare to making disciples of Jesus? <laughs> you got anything better to do with your life than to make disciples of Jesus? To bring a life-saving, soul-saving, eternity-changing message to people. And to have Jesus with you, the power of Christ, who is the decisive one. He's the difference maker. But we just get a front row seat as we open our mouths by faith to see in him work. There's nothing in all the world as wonderful, as great, as being called to make disciples of Jesus. And really the purpose of my message this morning is to encourage you in that. And together as a church to fix our focus on, okay, so we're here. I'm here. We're here. Now what? Well, we want to keep on doing what this church has a beautiful track record of doing. And not forget it. To make it our priority to make disciples of Jesus. Now I want to ask you this question today as a way of just sort of helping you put a handle on this to take it with you. Suppose for a moment that the Lord told you that you have one year to live. One year. Some of us may actually not even have that long. But suppose he told you you've got one year to live. You can't quit work and you can't drop out of school. Okay, those are the ground rules. You got one year to live. My question for you is, what adjustments would you make in your life in light of what you've just heard in this text and knowing I've got one year to do it? What is even one adjustment you would make in your life? In your parenting, in your work, in your neighborhood, amongst your family, What's one adjustment that you would make if you knew you got one year and having just heard what Jesus himself has said? Now, I want you to think about that and then do one more thing, to ask yourself this question. Why not just adjust it then anyway? Even if you got 10 years, even if God is gracious gives you 50 years from now, 60 years, 70, 80, 80 even if you got all more, if you got as many years as Methuselah had, 
why would you not make that adjustment now? It's a call to make mission to make our mission mandate our priority. And I think in the light of that, it's also a call to prayer. And so I'd like to close in prayer and to commit this to the Lord. And as I do, the team's going to come and they're going to lead us in a final song. And uh, as we pray this morning, it's also going to be an encouragement for you and your small groups to be praying about this, to maybe make a point of that as you meet next, to say, let's, let's pray about this issue of keeping the main thing the main thing, because so easily it becomes not the main thing. And how are we as a group, Lord God, going to make this a main, a main thing? And as we gather to pray for prayer and praise next Wednesday, to make that a priority for prayer, that we be on mission for the Lord. But let me just pray for this right now. Now, don't pack up, don't pack up. Let's just pray. Father, as we hear the words of your Son, who has all authority in heaven and on earth, as we hear his words, we see him risen from the dead, and now reigning and ruling, soon to return. I ask you, God, for grace to affect our perspective, to affect and change our outlook. And Lord, for some of us, some have been are living on this by your grace. This is just, they're just rejoicing and hearing your word this morning and seeing your grace in their lives, setting them on this course. Lord, I pray that they would never veer. Lord, I pray that you would give me grace to be a pastor who shepherds this flock to keep the main thing the main thing. And may we be a people, Lord, who never venture off into secondary things becoming primary things. But Lord, for all of our differences, from all of our different backgrounds, we come together as one in this church under Christ for a purpose, to glorify you through the fulfillment of the great commission and the spirit of the great commandment. Let it be so, Lord God. Amen.